0: telescope update my telescope is gone I sold my telescope and I feel I feel kind of sad I did have like an emotional connection to this telescope even though I used it once and I didn't even I could didn't even use it properly because I don't have patience to learn how to do anything correctly so I like half-assed kind of used it once and then I was like fuck this like I can't it's just taking up room. The thing is huge. It looks like a rocket launcher is just sitting in my back room. Like it's it's too much. I can't even store it under my bed or anywhere practical. So I was like, I'm going to get rid of it. Tons of requests, you guys. I thought I was a loser for <laughs> buying a telescope. They are in very high demand right now. A very oppressed group that I'm part of. People don't recognize how um big the telescope community is the stargazing community even like when i just went i went down to the lakeshore here in toronto to like use it just to get like a clear shot of the moon i didn't end up getting a clear shot of anything right didn't work but i set it up and it looks pretty cool and like people were walking by and they were asking me like tons of questions and i was just like yeah they're like is that mars i'm like sure man i don't know like i just have a telescope. But I did, I did like the feeling that people thought I knew what I was doing. So that was kind of fun. And then anyway, packed that shit up. Now it's gone. Sold it to a wonderful family. They were so excited to use it. And then I got a message that night. They were like, <laughs> They were like setting it up in their kitchen. It was like a nice kitchen shot. Somebody's like damp sock is in frame. And I was like, I'm glad that it went to somebody who's already said. It took me four months to take it out of the box. So the fact that these people just have it up and running is amazing. Um, and it had missing pieces. So I don't know like, what's more embarrassing. Like buying a telescope, spending $300 on a telescope, not using it for eight months, using it once, and in that one time use, lost three very important pieces then reselling it with those pieces missing um, for almost the exact same price. I felt terrible. So I immediately contacted Celestron, the people that make these telescopes. And I sent them like a really long email being like, look, I don't know if I got this. I just sent like a bullshit email saying that like, these pieces were missing when I bought it, blah, blah, blah. It's just a whole fraudulent, I feel like a fraud. Now I feel like a criminal. Before I felt like a loser. Um, I felt like an incel, to be totally honest with you. And now I feel like a criminal. So I don't know. Now I can of, you know what? There's actually something kind of badass about that. No, there isn't. I'm lying to a telescope company that I, it's, it's so stupid. Anyway, now I'm getting these pieces in for the people I t- sold the telescope to. And thankfully they're really understanding. <laughs> Maybe that's why I couldn't get it to work the first time. Cause I was just like losing Pieces. I don't know how I managed to lose I took it out of the box and went down to the lakeshore and in that process was missing tons of pieces like of course the telescope is not working properly because you don't have the pieces that you need for it to function but that's okay it's gone anyway I got my money back um next high powered binoculars that's what I think I'm on to high powered but binoc- I hear they're really simple to use and um maybe I can uh I don't know Anyway, I just wanted to say that because it is stressful. Like selling things online is legitimately stressful. Like I have never sold anything on eBay before. And like the amount of people that were messaging me being like, I sold it. I wanted to sell it for, I got, so the telescope, the regular price of the telescope is 470 Wow. I got it on Best Buy for 250 So I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I can make a little extra cash. Let's sell it for $300. People were messaging me being like 200 or I'm walking. I'm like, wow, this is very cutthroat out here. It's like Hollywood. They're like 200 or I'm walking. I'm like, absolutely not. You're crazy. This is a $500 telescope. I, I, to sell it for $200 would be disrespectful. Meanwhile, I should have just given it to them. It was missing pieces. I don't know. Anyway, so I'm glad that that's sorted. So now the telescope problem is solved. I hope I don't have to mention it again but all in all I do feel sad that I had to get rid of this telescope it was a part of my life even though it was a pain in the ass because it was so massive and heavy I was like I I, it has it just has been sitting it's been haunting my house for long enough that I just got used to it being there you know you just kind of get used to it being there I took it for granted and now it's gone and whatever now I'm just gonna have to look at the moon with my eyes like everybody else but maybe I will get high-powered binoculars. Apparently, they're like a lot easier to use. Or maybe I should just not go there again. Maybe I should just stick to guitar lessons and sit on my hands. That's what I should do. Anyway, um, I'm just gonna get right into this episode. Um, I had comedian and friend Mike Rita on, and I chose him because this guy is—he is the truest definition of a comic that is so kind and genuine to everybody he meets and he'll explain it on this episode, like more in detail, but he is through and through just the, the nicest guy. He doesn't take anything for granted. Every opportunity, every time that I see this guy on stage, he is the most consistent comedian that I know. Nobody is more consistent than Mike Rita. And I kind of wanted to have him on this podcast and figure out why I wanted to figure out a little bit of um, you know, if he has any rituals, figure out if he, you know, does he read mantras? Does he meditate? What's kind of like the driving force behind all of that? And he's just, he's a really passionate guy. He cries three times in this episode, just talking about comedy. Um, so that's kind of a nice little Easter egg for you guys to listen to, I guess. Did I just say Easter egg? It doesn't matter. Anyway. Um, he also has a podcast called Sessions with Mike Rita, which I'm probably never going to get to do because they just, they smoke weed on it and talk about life. And um, I don't smoke weed. Maybe if I get CBD drops, I can do that. Take a few CBD drops and talk about life anyway. Um, yeah. I'm just going to start the episode. Thanks for listening to another episode and uh, Yeah.
1: So cool! This is my. You're the only person who's got me off the couch to do something on Zoom. This I'm so thing.
0: honored. I am so honored. Thank you so much for doing this. I mean, I don't want to say that there's a reputation that you cancel on shows, but <laughs> I was a bit nervous. I was a bit nervous, but I'm so glad that you were punctual for me. Thank you.
1: Okay, a wait, you man. Like a maniac. Like, I wish you could have seen. I like you can't see now, but I had a way better setup right here on this couch. Hell yeah. there's a Christmas tree. Oh, I can't turn the... Oh, you can kind (laughs) of see Christmas tree. Okay, and it was going to be me and the Christmas tree in the back. And I had like a doobie. And I was like, "Ah, it's going to be classic reeks. And then my fucking old ass Mac said that I didn't have a camera. It has a fucking camera built into it
0: stop that's so funny i first of all i really appreciate the amount of effort and like studio setup that you're trying to do for me also i think it's hilarious that you would pick my podcast of all podcasts to like be smoking weed as if i would have any understanding <laughs>
1: my, uh, mike could you stop doing that no i'm doing it i'm bringing in my audience to your yes. peeps oh my god what, you know mike, i'm gonna tell you jewels the- man
0: I, that brings me to, I guess, the first question I have for you, which is like, how did you find your audience so early? Because you have like, you're the only comedian that I know in Canada that has like an audience. Like you, every show that you do, there are people there to see you, and it's like crowds of people, and it's amazing and it's so inspiring. But how do you, how did <laughs> you find that so
1: early? You know, I I, I didn't, man. I I listened. To who I was. What was I saying? What was I talking about? And then I I honed in on that. I I, Like, okay. In comedy, sometimes um, comics get lost playing to the back of the room. So they they, want to impress the other comedians with their fucking comedy.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I didn't fucking give a shit about other comedians liking me as a comedian. Because they never paid a dollar to watch me live. Yeah. But... If I if I realized that I was killing to the college kids and to the podheads and to the people with immigrant parents, then I fucking play to them, and I wasn't scared what the other comics thought because I want I, man, you know, fuck, this is like a, a shitty version of the story because, um, by the time I was finding my audience, I was already as good or better than most of the comics on the show, so I had this thing where I didn't care to play to them anymore. I didn't want to impress them. I wanted to impress the people in the audience. And that in itself allowed me as a comedian to find who I wanted to be, who I wanted to play to.
0: You were like, fuck playing to the comics at the back of the room. I'm already better than the comedians I'm performing with. I'm just going to do whatever it is, which is so smart. And I feel like it's so hard to, because when you started, you were so young. I feel like it's hard to not fall into that trap. You know what I mean? Like you have to be really—you have to have like laser focus, I think, to not do that.
1: Man, you're one of you're you're one of those young comics too. Who, who, K. Okay, Jules, man, do you remember when you were starting? How nice everybody was to you?
0: Yeah. Hey,
1: it's because you were a kid, but you were so funny that nobody second guessed you because they knew that you were going to fucking fly by them, bro. They knew rules. <laughs> they fucking knew when you're like, 16, I don't take compliments.
0: Well, I, I don't take compliments. Well, this is, this is hard for me. Okay. But
1: these compliments for me are different because I don't give a shit. Like, you know, to me, I, I was already established when you showed up. So I got nothing to lose being nice to you. You know, like uh, me being nice to you is just me being nice to a coworker. But it's like, when I met you, I remember seeing how you yucks you were so little on stage you're like seven foot nine now on stage you're up there with this dry sarcasm and these little zan zan zans but you when i remember when you started you were this teeny little like but man you knew you what what made you want to be a comedian can i ask you that has anybody asked you questions on this
0: uh thank you mike and no nobody asks me anything on this podcast yeah right because
1: everybody's listening to you ask questions and talk you yourself are this great young comic who who started off in her teens who who fucking has done festivals we we, we did a festival this year together we did just for last together this year for fuck's sakes yeah. listen to that sentence doesn't that sound so cool we did it just last sound
0: really cool and to be honest with you that's so weird to me and it's it's kind of emotional for me because i know when i started you were such a big deal and i remember the first time i met you you were just like oh hey I, like i've heard about you and i was just like like it made my year like I was just like Mike Rita thinks that I'm a good comic like he knows who I am like this is (laughs) it it, uh, like it was just one of those things like I'm sure when you were coming up like you had comics like that too but I'm I'm still like
1: that anytime I work with anybody that I liked when I was younger I'm still I'm still a fan before I'm a comic like uh like I can think of guys off the top of my head that want to work with them I don't know man like do you know who Jeff McHenry is do you ever work with Jeff McHenry oh god yeah Okay, Jeff. Mc- I like Jeff McHenry so much that I'm giddy around him. Like, and I don't even know if he knows because he's so in another world most times that it's hard <laughs> to like try to get to him. But I- I'm always, I'm always jacking him up. I'm like, dude, you're the best. You know, you're the funniest guy in this country. Nobody touches. He's so fucking funny. He makes me cry. Dude, it was
0: my favorite uh, Jeff McHenry story. We had a road gig together, and um, picking him up, and he was like in a bush. Like he was literally in a bush when we picked him up. He was like, "Yeah, I'm at the corner of whatever," and we're like, "Hey, we're at the corner. like, we can't find you." And then he just like steps out of this bush. <laughs> like, what are you? He's just such a shy, like nice guy. He just wants to take up the least amount of space possible at all times. Like it's Dude. so funny
1: dude that is you know to people who aren't comedians that sounds like a really fake or weird story like you came out of a bush you just trying to be funny jeff McHenry 100 percent, came out of a fucking bush <laughs> like, just like hey what's going on everybody it's going yeah. be weird oh my god
0: <laughs> it's so funny
1: wait <clears throat> hey, you refocused me so i'm gonna refocus us now <laughs> Okay. when you started comedy how old were you like 16 or something crazy
0: i was 15 when i started oh yeah. my
1: god Fuck but i did
0: in my first two years of doing comedy i did stand up like maybe five times like, yeah 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 you know, That's what it is. That's okay. Yeah, i lived in the suburbs like i couldn't take the subway or anything so i had to like rely on my mom to like drive me down and betty okay, but you're
1: like in high school
0: yeah
1: like grade 10
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: and you know what what was do you Do you remember what your first couple shows were like?
0: They were at uh, Betty's on the second floor of Betty's.
1: Wow, like, with Brian Coughlin or whatever?
0: Yeah, when it was like a, a attic. Like now they've kind of transformed it. It looks like an Ikea playhouse. But when it had like twinkle lights and kind of like smelled like shit a little bit and like. You we know, that's the
1: best it. room ever to do. Yeah. Ever fucking to speak. It looks like an old comedy room. It smells like an old comedy room. But. Yeah. But great comedians show up to do it for some reason. Yeah. Like did you ever get to see somebody that that, that was good? Like that showed my up to second play?
0: my second set there, uh Mike Wilmot and Kate Davis were there. <laughs> they were just there. They just came in to do a set.
1: Were you aware who Mike Wilmot was? Do you remember him from like TV I when you were? I didn't, I
0: didn't know of him, but after oh. I saw him, like I remember the car ride going back, we we're like, Man, that old guy was so funny. <laughs> like he was Yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
1: Oh, my God, that's
0: so funny. Like, yeah, because
1: you don't know that he's, like, one of the best in the country. He's just some funny old dude. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mike yeah, Wilmont on your second show ever is pretty fucking good.
0: Yeah, it's wild. Um, He told me that I reminded him of Seth Rogen. He's like, you remind me of a young Seth Rogen. That definitely doesn't still hold up, but I, I keep it close to me all the time.
1: That's How fucking high was he for fucking... Mike Wilmont for sure thought you were somebody else he must have been ripped i don't think he drinks anymore but he wasn't <laughs> i was like yeah a uh, young seth rogan you're like i don't I, all right fuck. i like that he chose a dude and he didn't just try to cop out and like name the one female comic he knows you remind me of a young kate davis <laughs> actually she's right there no that would have been pretty funny that been, yeah. okay so you start at 15 you start at betty's but then one day you you joined the scene. When did you join the scene?
0: I think like when I was in grade 12.
1: Shut the fuck up. Do you hear how cool that is? When I was in grade 12, I was part of a scene that wasn't in the hallways of my high school.
0: I know. It couldn't be though. Like, I mean, like when you started when you were really young too, like I don't like I was never. Like who were you in high school? Like, what was your like role in in high school? Because I feel you know like who that- I am, man.
1: Yeah. I am the dude who high-fived and said what I sold weed in high school. So and I was okay, you want to know who I am in high school? I'll tell you exactly like all my little my little categories that I fit in. Yeah. I was the local drug dealer. I was the guitarist and lead singer of the high school like rock band, dudes, okay? Oh. Stuff. and then yeah look it gets even crazier than this i was like one of the better uh, softball players i was first chair trumpet so like a like a band nerd but i was all these and i also hung out with all the gangster portuguese kids because i grew up with them they were all my best friends and it was this crazy man i swear to god i knew everybody i high-fived everybody i would like high-five the teachers and be like what up miss d <laughs> like i was that guy i was fucking that guy and um and honestly, this is the crazy part of this. That is all a cover up for trauma from when I was a kid, from self conscious emotions that I wasn't good enough to be cool. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. I always thought I'm not the cool dude. So then what I did was do all these things to affirm to myself that I was the cool dude. And at the end of the day, I had a fucking blast doing it. Selling weed was great, playing music was fun. Um, and you want to know something? I never really was one of these like, um, chick. I, I couldn't chase chicks in high school because my sister was five years older than me. And she would always tell me that high school girls were a waste of time. So,
0: and you listened to her?
1: Yeah, because I thought she was right. And I never like, wow. I never really got laid in high school or anything. I wasn't one of those dudes. And I always regret that. Cause that's like, that would have, I don't know. That's always like,
0: yeah. I, don't I don't know.
1: I always felt like I missed out on that.
0: Right. But you were, when did you start doing comedy? Like you were doing it in high school, right?
1: Right out of grade 12. So the last day of grade 12 is in what, like July. Okay. I'm already doing comedy by September, October. And then I, I'm just, so I started doing comedy at house parties during the summer to practice. Cause I know that when winter comes around and I'm not working anymore, I'm going to start hitting open mics. Right. So during the summer at house parties, I would do like 10 minutes while everyone was drinking. And I would literally just be like, yo, guys, I'm a stand up comedian. And I had never done any professional stage time. And I would just be like, yo, I'm a stand up comedian, guys. I'm going to do something. And I would do these awful one liners and these little impressions. And they would actually do pretty good. Yeah, they would kill like at a house parties. so confident. It's 18. I'm so Dude, that is confident. so
0: confident. Like, that is crazy amounts of crazy. confidence. Crazy. Be at a party, not even at a show and be like, hey, guys, I'm a comedian. <laughs> I'm going to do jokes right now. I'm going to make a laugh right now.
1: I studied comedy for years as an art form, and I knew that bombing was the first step of success. So I, I, this is the truth. I wanted to bomb before I got to open mics, okay. and I didn't want to go to an open mic in front of real comedians who, who actually did comedy and bomb. Little did I know an open mic in the, in the beginning of your career, that's you only meet like one or two real comedians a night at an open mic, and they're never judging young comics, Ever. Ever, ever, ever. And if they are, they're the biggest pieces of shit you ever met. Yeah. Ever met. Anybody who judges an 18-year-old comedian is a fucking ass. Oh, yeah. God. Just the worst.
0: Yeah. I, no, I guess my- you have a lot of stories, though. Like, do you have stories? That- Sorry to interrupt. Your no, story. we're interrupting
1: each other because this is a good conversation. That's all it is not. Yeah,
0: yeah. Was, uh like, were you, um like, were any comics, like, bitter towards you? Like, were you able to be like, oh, yeah, that guy, like,
1: Right off the top of of my head. Right off the fucking top of my head, I can remember a guy named Matt Shuri who was so fucking mean to me. Such a fucking asshole. He's like a Montreal comic now, but he's like been booted out of like 10 scenes because he's a dick. And I used to dress really gangster. I used to wear always like baggy clothes and jean jackets. I'd have my hat, my fresh cuts. We'd smell like Versace blue jeans. We were homies. For real. And, um, And like shit like that. And then... So this guy said one day that comedy wasn't for people like me. And really? I knew that he was referring to like hood kids, like little hood, hoodlum Portuguese kids. Cause I I don't know if you ever heard the stories of when I started comedy, but I used to show up with like 10, 15 people to every show. Wow. Like even when I just started, because we used to hang out in big like crews. So we'd show up like three, four cars of people for open mics, for open mics at like the hole in the wall, or like Ossington, or something small like that, where like there was nobody usually. I would, and and none and my friends wouldn't laugh. They wouldn't laugh at anybody except for me. They always thought all the other comedians were shit for real. If you ask like stories, like you know, there's a couple guys that'll get good stories. Like Keith Pedro would kill, Chris Robinson would kill, Dave Muraj would kill, but other everybody else would bomb. They would heckle. They were so embarrassing, man. They would fucking heckle like shut the fuck up, buddy. You fucking suck. <laughs> And I'd be so embarrassed, man. But you want to build your own crowd? Kill the first time they see you. Kill the second time they see you. And you're, you're, they're pretty much hooked forever. They know that you can bring it. They know that they like you. Um Wait, you asked me who I was in high school. Who were you in high school, man? What the fuck?
0: Like, what? I know. I was in, like, I did not, like, I ate on the floor with my friends in high school. Like, I was, I was like, <laughs> really I was like part of multiple friend groups but like I had one or two really close friends and then everybody else was just sort of like an acquaintance I just wanted to be liked and like likable more than anything like I just wanted to like start in high school because elementary school was kind of like meh so I was like in high school like I don't want to be on anybody's bad side I just want to be like the funny person and then yeah, and then I don't know. I, just, I took a course at Second City and I was like, I don't want to work with people because I, and I hate improv. Like this sucks. I just want to do something by myself. And then I just started doing stand up, and that was it.
1: <clears throat> so who, I don't know. Who the was the supportive person in your life? Was it your mom?
0: Yeah.
1: What a fucking G. Does yeah. she still support you? Does she come to shows and stuff? Uh,
0: she wants to come to shows, but like I always tell her not to because I'm like, oh, I'm working on stuff. Like, I don't want you to see it yet. You know what I mean?
1: Have you told her that you've done Just for Laughs? Like, does she yeah, know no, that she she knows, you've reached yeah she- oh, okay I'm like I don't know man that's so fucking like yeah you know man like ugh. and she's she's Italian was she Canadian was she Italian yeah
0: we're it's- getting off
1: topic we're getting off topic it's, it's my fault I'm such a fucking um,
0: so I guess how did you keep that like confidence longevity like how did you start I think this applies to really any career that you're in like Because when you start, like when I first started doing comedy, I was like this wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, like everything was amazing and like anything is possible. And then you start to learn about the industry and you start to learn about like ego and like all of these other things kind of come into it that kind of like make you a little bit jaded. And I'm trying, like I'm not, I don't think I'm that way yet, but I feel it, you know? Man. I, just, I don't want to be those comics because like, you know who they are and like, they never treated you well. And like, you know how they treat other comedians and it's just like this bitter cycle of bullshit.
1: Dude, do the think, worst, like- the worst man are the jaded old guys. And you're not jaded. You know what you are, man? You're seasoned. You have done it enough to like know what you're walking into. Like you're not just a, you're not a rookie anymore. You know, you've hosted, you've meddled, you've headlined, you've done the road gigs, you've done the little gigs, you've done the open mics, you've done the wet stages of small town Ontario, okay? And you know, you're just a seasoned person. And I'll tell you what it is. Your patience is going to run even thinner one day for low quality comedy Mm. on a high quality show. So when you do a good show, there's going to be comics that aren't like, man, Jules, I know this. I know it's tough for you to swallow these pills because you're not like your person's tough. You say it's tough to take compliments, but you're going to reach those levels where you're going to be the best comic on the show almost all the time. And you're going to be able to fucking do it. You're going to be able to smash and you're going to get used to this idea of the show should be good. You know, the show should be fucking good. I hate being on a shit comedy show because I feel like it reflects poorly on me. And even though I know damn well that that's not how it works. A show is a show, blah, 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 blah. Man, But I carry it on my fucking shoulders, even if it's a show booked by Yuck Yucks, and it's got nothing to do with me. If I'm the host, I'm going to go out there and host my fucking ass off. Just because, man, always, always, um, this is for you, this is for anybody. I think we talked about this once. You have to keep your bar so fucking high all the time so that that becomes your normal. And then when it's time to step up to the plate and really kill it, you already have another level that you've been keeping in your back pocket without even knowing like if you treat every, I mean, you've seen me before shows, no matter how big or small, I'm like dying inside my anxiety's through the roof. I can't talk to nobody. I'm all shaky and shit. I keep telling everybody I hate comedy. <laughs> Dude,
0: <laughs> hate but comedy. that's what is like so fascinating about you that like, that's what is so fascinating about you. And that's something that like, I don't want to lose ever, which is like, the not caring. And I think that like, I've been doing it long enough now that like, if I just decided to stop caring that that would have happened already. (laughs) Yeah. But It's like, yeah. It's like the, as soon as you stop getting nervous for shows, I feel like is when things kind of turn, like, I I don't know. I like to, that's where the magic
1: lives, man. Is those 20 minutes before the show starts and everybody's sitting on their thing. And and the lady who runs the show has come up and she's like, we're going to start in 15 minutes. And you're like, okay. And then that's it. Everything leaves. It's about me. It's about my thoughts. It's about where I'm going to go tonight. Man, and you have to keep that up everywhere. Don't ever fucking take a night off. Not at a shitty open mic, not at a great show. Always, 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 man, go so fucking hard that that becomes your norm. Drive at 200 miles an hour all the fucking time when you're on stage so that when they need you at Just for Laughs or Halifax Comedy Festival, to kick it into another gear for television, that you're not scared. Like this year you did your television taping. Was that your first television taping? Yeah. You'll never not, it'll only go up from here because now that you did the first one, it's like, okay, I know what I need to feel. I know what I don't want to feel after. Do you remember that you felt like you did good. I remember you felt like you did good, but you wanted to do better. Yeah. That is what will make you work so fucking hard to get another TV taping. And that, when that shit comes back to you and you're sitting in the green room, you're going to remember just for laughs, 2020, I did good, but I could do better. And you're going to fucking get rid of your nerves and you're going to focus, trust, girl, you, girl, you're such a fucking killer. You don't even know, man. I get, <laughs> get out of
0: here. That is really nice. Thank you. But yeah, yes. I, it's like, you want to, you want to keep that like mindset. Like you never, you never want to drop the ball. And sometimes I, I don't know if it's a Canadian entertainment thing. Um, And again, that's like, that's what I find so fascinating about you is that you don't seem to have like the Canadian entertainment doesn't have an impact on Mike Rita and his performances like, it just seems like you don't like you are your own comedian, you're your own person. This is what you believe this is how you want this taping to go. And it's like, it's like nothing, nothing penetrates. You know what I
1: mean, man. And you know that's such a fucking illusion, because it's all, it's all penetrating all the time. But man, I, I try my hardest, yo, for real. Um, this is for everybody listening, and this is for you too. I'm sure you've looked into this. It's something called mindfulness, where yeah. you, you 100% just take the moment for what it is. You focus on your breathing. You dissolve. You dissolve all those worries. Because none of them actually exist. It's it, it's like it's just the pressures. The man comedy. Have you ever been backstage and and even though the show is miles away, it's so fucking loud you can hear it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That you can't yeah. you can almost hear your set. And then the second they call your name, it all goes away. It's yeah. you and the audience and all that noise has now been focused into a laser beam that you're fucking destroying with. <laughs> oh my
0: god. Dude, Wait, it is so I wanted to ask you this because, ask. well, first of all, I want to talk about meditation and mindfulness with you. Cause yeah. 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 That, so that's fantastic. So I'm going to note that. Um, but when you're on stage, do you, um, because your material is so, like, you're such a magnetic person. You're immediately likable just right out the gates. And it seems like so carefree. And I feel like in order to be that, like for me, so like I'm watching your performance and I know that like in order to get into that headspace, you need to be that sort of, like you can't think your way into being likable. You can't think your way into being like loose on stage. Like you have to already be those things as a person. So in order to achieve that, you need to be, like you said, mindful. You need to like do certain things to like work on yourself in your day-to-day life. And then that will transfer over on stage as well like you can't write being likable you can't write your way into not being in your head on stage you know
1: and you, you are hitting it right on like, the fucking nail about all that stuff you, you couldn't have said it more right it, it has to be something that you truly believe before you step on stage i can't step on stage and be like okay now now i'm going to convince myself no way man before you get on stage while you're hearing the host talk man i'm getting chills right now because I'm so, I'm so, like, this is just whatever. I'm just so good at putting myself, like, like I'm actually there. Like, I can feel it. Like, we're behind the curtain. You can hear the chatter. There's this fucking thing, man, where you have to catch your breath on your heartbeats, man. Boom. Oh, and you let it all out. And you can feel the anxiety leaving. And what you gotta do is remember why you're doing this. Why did I become a stand-up comedian? This is something that my father taught me when I was a kid and it's the greatest lesson that I ever learned. When I was a kid, I played accordion and I used to get really nervous before I went on to perform with my father. And he'd always be like, why are you nervous? Why are you nervous? And I'd always be like, man, I'm nervous. I don't think I'm gonna do good. And he'd go, did you practice? And I'd say, yeah. And he'd be like, did you practice with me? Do you know your songs? I'd be like, yeah. And he goes, then you're good. You know what to do, and they're here for you. Don't forget these people paid money to watch you. You are the performer tonight. They don't want to see somebody who's nervous. They don't want to see somebody who's not confident. They want to see you know what you're doing, and they want to see you do it well. Just go up there. even And he used to say in Portuguese, like, even if you're not ready, they don't know that. You only know that. Just go right through it all. Man, and that shit stuck with me my whole fucking life. When I go on, man, you've seen me before I go on stage, like, like we were talking about. I zone out, man. Like I, I, I go in, I, I'm so nervous. I'm a nervous wreck. And then the second I get on stage, there it is. Everything I've ever worked for, everything that I ever imagined, here it is. And, and it doesn't have to be Massey Hall. It doesn't have to be Just for Laughs. It can be, you know, Jay's barbecue joint in fucking Aurelia, Ontario. <laughs> but I'm here. This is what I wanted. Yeah, and now right. I give them the best I've got, man. Right. You know, I, I'm going to tell you something, Jules when you're talking about like uh, the likability thing, man, I don't know why I'm so likable. If somebody were to ask me why I'm likable, I couldn't actually tell you. I just know. I can tell you.
0: I can tell you. It's because of your worldview and your belief. Like when I'm, when you're talking on stage, even though you're saying jokes, you know that this person is a positive person. You know that he's a warm guy you feel like you, I feel like I know you personally, even though I don't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you man, don't have, you people don't have, have
1: said that to me for years, man. Yeah. I, it's like, I know you, dude. It's like, I know you, man.
0: You know what? But that's because when you're on stage, you're not afraid of being vulnerable with the crowd. You're not like, no. it, dep- it all depends on your like worldview. So that's what I'm saying. Like you can't write your way into that. You can't, like overthinking is the worst thing you can do. Overthinking kills comedy completely. Like the best thing that you can do If you like are, if you want to be more likable on stage or if you want to be more like whatever it is, whatever it is, it depends. I know what you mean. Like, yeah,
1: endearing to the audience, man. Yeah,
0: it depends. You have to work on yourself as a person before that translates on stage. It's not going to come on stage and then come to you in real life or not come to you in real life and only happen on stage. It's like, it has to, it has to be both. It has to be. You
1: know, the simple thing that you could do in life to become more likable on stage, and this is for if any comic- who's a younger comic or somebody who's watching us talk right now, one day you're going to have to make the choice about who you want to be in life. Do you want to be the person who says, thank you to the janitor, to the lady cleaning, to the Walmart greeter. I say fucking thank you to everybody because I'm never going to see them again. So I give them the nicest version of me ever that they can have. They can just fucking keep it. Of course I'm vulnerable. Of course I'm making myself weak, it doesn't even matter. I'm never going to see these fucking people again. They can think I'm weak, they can, but I just want them to know that I mean them no harm, that I, I bring joy in life. But that, like you're saying, that's a genuine thing, man. i You know, the only person in, in my life that I struggle with that is my wife. And it's only because it's like 80, 20. Everybody else gets 100%. She yeah. gets 80% of it, and then 20% is still, she still gets the shitty me. I'm very complaining. But that's what makes you a comic, naturally. I think as a person is internally. Yeah, we shit
0: on everything. We just shit on everything, dude.
1: I shit on everything, and I don't even notice it because <laughs> she's a normal person who's just living a life. She's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" I'm like, "Those Christmas tree lights are fucking stupid." And she's like, "What are you mad at right now?" I'm like, "I don't know anymore. I don't fucking know nothing now." <laughs> but yeah, she she gets she's the only. But other than her, because I get her twenty percent shit, and she gets my twenty. You in life, man. People are so scared to give 100% of their best version to somebody because they think that that person owes them the same back. Man, fuck that. You meet someone at McDonald's who's the customer. They give you a great burger and some fries. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Man, it takes nothing. And for the rest of your life, you carry that good aura, man. Your, your your energy is nice. I had a lady one time stop me at McDonald's and tell me that my aura was awesome today. And I, was, I didn't know what the fuck that was. And I had to Google it. And then I was like, I have an aura, babe. I have an aura. I I yeah. Love- I didn't even know what it really was. Yeah. I was excited. Oh, I
0: love that. I- aura compliments are the best compliments. I've never gotten an aura compliment, but that's just because I am a negative person. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I-, I mean, I we've all got our thing.
1: Do you take any supplements? Do you- are you a supplement person?
0: Yeah. Vitamin D. Uh, yeah. I have to take iron. I'm iron deficient. And... Uh, which makes sense. I'm the most pale person on the face of the <laughs> earth. I, I look like I have an iron deficiency. No,
1: man, you have a, you you have a look that, man, I'm sure you got the weirdest guys hitting on you in, in life because you have that cool personality that only weirdos for some reason have the confidence to probably approach you. It Dude.
0: Dude. How, how are you saying that right now? You nailed because, it. Like I've dude, got the I'm magicians fucking weird busker fest looking guys. <laughs> fedoras and shit it's like why can't i just get a normal guy like why is it always like weird dungeons and dragons looking like i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that
1: no man but it would be nice to just have a dude i know man like you guys
0: they don't (laughs) they don't talk to me
1: (laughs) it's not your fault it's because you're so i know you you might not feel all the time comfortable in your own skin but you know who the fuck you are. You're fucking Julia and you do your thing and you're not really caring if these dudes, and I'm sure, I'm sure your natural human instinct is to be like, I would like a dude who's a good looking dude to like me, but man, it's not your fault. Good looking dudes are are a lot of the time they carry a lot of self-conscious feelings with them, with themselves because they believe that eyes are on them and then they they begin to only see their flaws, blah, 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 blah. blah.
0: But I also (laughs) think that it's different because- uh, and actually, Kyle Brownrig, who was on previously, mentioned this, which is like, I think that when you start doing comedy young and young being any like 18 to 25 to whatever. Yeah. yeah. Most of the people that you hang out with are people in their 30s and 40s. So that's who you're picking up energy from. Right. And people in their 30s and 40s are comfortable in their skin, they're confident people. So if you learn to communicate with those people like that, It's going to transfer into your day to day life, dude. That's so funny. I never
1: even fucking thought about that. Yeah,
0: it's like I've just you you morph into the people that you hang out with, and I was hanging out with forty year olds when I was in high school. So it's like it's just it's going to transfer over. You know what I mean? Something. You're right. You're
1: absolutely right. When you get to see what older people care about versus what your generation cares about, you understand that that's all going to dissolve. You're right. Oh my God, you're fucking blowing my mind, man. Comedy's so weird. It matured me so fast out of high school. Holy fuck.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Like, yeah. It's also sad though, because sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on certain parts of my life. Like, I'm just like, I just wish that I was like an actual 18 year old. You know what I mean? But then I'm like, you know. How old are you now? 23.
1: So you're 23 now. So you've been doing comedy a solid five, six years. Jesus fucking Christ. That's crazy to think that you've been doing it solidly that long already. Like, my goodness, man. <laughs> you're, fucked. you're fucked, man. Okay, okay. So you start doing comedy and, and all this great stuff. I got to ask you one more question. When was it in your career that you knew that this is what you wanted? How fast did you know that you're like, man, I'm actually doing it and I'm going to go for it?
0: uh it was like before I even got on stage like the day that I decided I wanted to do stand-up I was like oh yeah that's just I don't I can't describe it I honestly can't describe it and like it's just one of those things and I don't mean to sound like oh I'm this person that found their path so young look at me like I really don't mean it like that because everybody finds it a different oh see that's that you're
1: the comedian in you being humble you're humbling yourself from the reality of the situation you fucking comic you're such a comic don't You should be like, yo, I fucking found my calling early. I fucking smashed that shit. You ever hear like billionaires? They're like, I fucking knew I was going to start Amazon. The second I, you know, like it's okay. And and why are we such assholes to ourselves like that? You deserve to feel good that you were a child, not a teenage prodigy in comedy.
0: I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that it was like, it was more of like a, a feeling that was like, I don't know. I honestly can't describe it. It was like this sort of like uh I don't know. Like I, I was just like, I'm I guess I'm just gonna do stand-up comedy. And then I didn't even think about it. Like it was just like, oh yeah, of course. Like I'm gonna do stand-up comedy. Like, yeah. Okay. Was- did you like
1: stand-up? Did you watch it on TV?
0: Uh the only comedian that my dad watched was like Russell Peters. So Shut that- the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, he just like loved Russell Peters because he did all like the accents and stuff, and my dad's an immigrant, so he appreciated that. And um, and then I started, yeah, watching like my own people. Like I remember Amy Schumer was just blowing up when I discovered her, and then Sarah Silverman. Like I didn't start watching a lot of comedy until after I started doing stand-up.
1: No way. Holy Christ, man. <laughs> you cannot tell me that you're not some sort of prodigy. Don't ever this is find- come me on. So nervous. This is making me so
0: nervous because I've never had somebody on this podcast. And like compliment me like this so it's very like this is very difficult i don't i'm know not how gonna you know. let you
1: always humble yourself because from the day that i've known you every time that i'm like yo you're a killer you always shell up and you're like huh, thank you my and then you like leave the room and i don't know where the fuck you go but i'm like was i not supposed to tell her she did good like, that's right oh, you wow. compliment
0: me and then i disappear that makes total sense i literally dude
1: that is the funniest thing trust i picked that up once i was like I told Julia she did good today. I haven't seen her in like an hour. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But um, okay. So yeah, look, man, it's okay to be a prodigy. It's okay to be good at something when you're young. Fucking, you ever meet like piano kids? Everybody's just always jerking them off when they're little kids. And then they become like 20 years old and like, we don't get that in comedy. Nobody when you're 15 is like, go Julia, go fucking be the next Russell Peters. (laughs) no people just want to shit on you yeah they're like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do comedy like oh uh, fuck off there are
0: some people though that have, i mean and then the people that are nice and kind of like recognize that in you you just keep in your life forever because like they're just like you know yo
1: that's yeah. who my best friend in life is is yep. the person who was the most supportive to me when i was a young comedian like the people who were
0: supportive a- to you when you were shit are like yeah. they just stay in your life Forever, because I of, love him. Yeah. I made him
1: my road manager. So if I get booked somewhere, like out east or out west, I book him a flight, and he just stays in the hotel with me, okay. and we just party all over the time because he's my best friend. And 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 like like I have pictures all over my Instagram of, of, of uh, like he was my okay, he was a good friend of mine. I'm wearing my shirt inside out. You can't see that, but I'm wearing my what a fucking loser. Oh yeah, what a fucking loser. Oh my god, man, Let's that's great. Just
0: take a beach, baby. <laughs>
1: white v-necks make some noise but um yeah yo okay i know i'm you're really lucky that it's your mom i wish my mom was my biggest support because i love my mom and 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 she doesn't know this but she pretty much made my career like i wish she knew that she's the like one of the driving forces in my career is when i drop my mother's voice She she doesn't get it she just thinks i'm like making jokes but yeah
0: does she still That's like, does she still, like even though I did this just for laughs taping, like my dad is still like, hey, like if you ever wanted to be a dentist, like you're, like he'll casually just like slip in like an like, article for becoming a dentist or something. Man,
1: okay. My <laughs> parents dream of the day that I stopped doing comedy. And I've reached peaks <laughs> that almost any comedian would dream of. I can, I sold out theaters. I've done Massey Hall. I've done just for laughs, like fucking God knows how many times now. I had, I had my own Subway ad once. Uh, for a JFL 42, I was one of the 42 acts and they had all 42 on a subway and it's like, you know, five foot Mike Rita, like it was crazy. It's crazy. And still once in a while, my dad will be like, you're so good with the hammer. You don't want to be a carpenter. Look at, the, you know, you fixed the house, you built the deck. I'm like, what are you fucking nuts, man? yeah they don't get and they don't get that you can be a writer they don't get that people write things too like i can't be a writer now because i have a kid so my whole day is spent being a dad but one day i'm gonna have like eight hours a day doing nothing at home where i'm gonna want to fill it with something and i tell them i'm gonna write something and they're like what are you gonna write and i'm like you know articles maybe i'll review things and 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 they just don't get it they're like who who cares about what you think and like i'm a professional stand-up comedian i have they're like, whoa, okay, well, you're going to get high and talk? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get high and talk yeah. to the people. And that's what they want me to do. Yeah,
0: My dad, uh, this is my favorite story. My dad told me that he believes, like his story, he was like, you know how Jerry Seinfeld got famous? I was like, how? I was like, tell me how Jerry Seinfeld got famous. And he's like, he was a waiter at a restaurant and told a joke to a director. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... Oh my god! I love as a stand-up comedy. That, you're like, I love that, oh. that, you do that. Thank you for giving me that. That is such a gift that you just gave me. Thank you,
1: dude. And we all know damn well that that's not <laughs> outside Bill babies <laughs> <laughs> at all, dude. That is the funniest parent. He told a joke. To that guy, David, whatever the fuck his name is with the white hair? And, and you're like, no, that was, I think they were writing partners. You're talking about the guy from Curve Your Enthusiasm. That's the guy. He told the joke to that guy. You're like, no, he, he didn't tell the joke.
0: <laughs> I was like, did he get cast as a comedian? From, like, just walking around a mall, like, how they pick models up at, like, malls and shit.
1: and then Oh, wait. You look like a comedian, pal. You ever thought about having your own show? Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought he was going to tell you that he got famous from a show called Seinfeld. I thought that's what he was going to tell you. Like, oh, he was- got famous. He had a show in the 90s called Seinfeld. And everybody, like. <laughs>
0: it. It's so wild. Oh, my God. It's so funny. So, back to meditation. Because I thought I just wanted to talk about this quickly. Bring it back. Um, how do you, when do you meditate? When is like your most optimal? How long do you meditate for? Like
1: what? Man, I am a morning meditator. I will wake up, I'll have a sip of my coffee. I, I really love the smell of coffee in the morning. I love what it does for me. So I'll make my coffee. I like dark roast with a little cream and a little sugar. And I sit down and I breathe it in and it's really quiet in my house. The kid is still sleeping, my girl's at work. And I sit on the couch. And I start with um, a guided meditation called gratitude. And all I do is is I just ask my Alexa to play gratitude. And it just reminds you to be grateful for everything that you have. And it just tells you to like feel your body. I love meditation. I love guided meditations, by the way. I can't do it by myself. I want one of those like cool voices where it's clearly a white guy who has some sort of like weird Indian accent, like where he's trying to be like, touch your legs and feel the air coming through your body and lungs. You're like, you don't talk like that, you fucking liar. Your name's Kyle. Your name is Kyle Dorothy, you fuck. Why do you have that accent? You must. Kyle
0: Dorothy. Yeah, dude, I don't know why I
1: made that shitty name. (laughs) But, uh, oh man, I'm telling you, man, those are my favorites. So I start in the morning with a meditation and I need it because I suffer from anxiety. And what that does is it makes me feel like I'm cornered constantly throughout the day in tiny little situations at home. So if my daughter's yelling and the cat's meowing or the fucking, the fridge is making too much noise and now the oven fan is on and my kid is yelling from another room, I get these crazy impulses where I start to like, easiest way to put it is I start to short circuit and I start to get really nervous and have these little attacks. And I need to remember, um, I, I gotta remember to breathe in that moment and just focus on your inhale, just let it go. And you have to literally picture like, you know, what's happening to you right now around you as a cloud. And I picture it dispersing in my mind. And then I remember that that's my worries and that I'm here and I center myself, boom, and I'm back. And then by the time I know it, I'm not even mad about the kid. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for having a kid. I'm happy that I have a working fridge. All these, all my perspective completely changes and I'm back. But that shit, that shit only works. If you practice it constantly, it doesn't like, it. it, it's like this thing that you can talk about as a human being, but you have to constantly bring yourself back, bring yourself back. You find your brain wandering, you find your brain wandering, bring yourself, man, my brain wanders sometimes so far away that I forget that I'm able to bring myself back, that I'm so lost in my own mental trance of depression, of doubt, Man, it's crazy. I can't remember the name of the, I think it's your amygdala up here somewhere in the front of your brain that that stores all those, um, like your memories. And it it allows you to recall things like what was your favorite thing as a kid? It allows you to recall that, but it also allows you to recall all the failures in your life and all the shitty moments too. And and I have an overactive amygdala. So I can tell that it's like, it's making me wander just because it's bored. And that's where mindfulness is the greatest thing. If you can practice mindfulness day to day on that kind of level, like, we were talking about how you bring that on stage. That's how you see it, like, that. those five seconds. All right, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for your, you know, and then that's it. You know, boom. That, that I, I, do, you, do you know what sound I'm doing when I do that? Like, that little focus sound? It's yeah. like your brain does it all by itself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're putting a helmet on or something that's covering your ears.
0: Oh, yeah. Your eyes, your pupils go from being dilated to now, like, being super focused. Yeah,
1: they're so focused. I know. Oh, man.
0: No, I know exactly what you're talking about. And actually, I was reading this book. I'm um, Not reading. I was listening to this book on... Yeah, I don't read either. You're also right. I only
1: listen to books as well.
0: Yeah, I listen to it um, because even though I have nothing to do, I just, I can't sit down to read. I can't, I can't watch movies. I can't like binge
1: TV shows. Man, like, who and the dance. fuck is watching movies anymore? I could never watch... Man, like, I'm telling you, man, D is a movie person. I fucking struggle to make it past 45 minutes. I don't even give a yeah. shit i know, know grand, i'm making fun of actresses i'm making fun of the <laughs> writing the light oh it's over okay i'm sorry but yeah no it's I know true. my
0: friends my friends like can't watch movies with me like my friend will call me and be like hey like let's watch this movie together but like you can't talk because you'll ruin it for everybody like you need to keep your thoughts to yourself I'll <laughs> make it through. i just start playing like wordscapes or whatever on my phone like, <laughs> i don't even care That's um brutal man yeah I was like this acting is shit even though I'm a terrible actor I don't even consider myself an actor I'm like this is bad this is not believable." like I'm so anyway uh
1: do people ask you to be an actress sometimes because you're like okay you have that youthful look you got that fucking Natalie Portman gentle white lady look
0: (laughs) the gentle white lady look uh I mean my agent kind of tells me to act but like I'm not like, I don't think that I'm an actor. Like, I'm not a dramatic actor. Like, I could be myself in a comedy and I can do, like, commercial auditions, but I'm not, like, an actor. Oh, man, I
1: couldn't do commercial auditions. I fucking hated commercial auditions. You're I hated fucking and biting an apple and shit. Yeah. Like, you, just, yeah. you, know, you know.
0: No, they make you feel bad about yourself, for sure. I have no self-respect anymore at this point.
1: No, um, I don't even do auditions anymore, by the way. Yeah. For anybody who is a young performer thinking that they have to do auditions because they're a musician or they're an improv artist or... You don't have to do shit, yo. Anybody who's listening to this, just stay focused on what you want to be and don't let the industry control. Man, like some people think that they have to take that route, and it, and it, what it does is it creates just more self doubt uh, in in, in I, a world I, where you didn't even I, want to be a part of. You're like, I even I, want to be a part I mean of this. Like,
0: oh man, you're you are saying everything that. So I was listening to this book, and this guy said. So the first thing that you mentioned was a visualization exercise. Which is that he said that like high performers, people like CEOs, athletes, comedians, entertainers of any kind, they all have visualization exercises where like before they start doing the task that they have to do, they close their eyes and in detail visualize how they are going to do it, how are they going to feel, how they're gonna act that's gonna make them feel better about what it is they're, they're doing. Like you just, like before a set that you feel kind of unsure of, I close my eyes and I just visualize the last set that I had that I was like really proud of and the crowd was great. And you have to channel that energy again. And that's it gets right. you excited and it makes you feel hopeful so that when you get on stage, that excitement transfers over and and then it goes, it might not go exactly according to plan, but at least it makes you um, present and you're able to at least adjust. Do you know what I mean? Man,
1: man. this is like a fucking clinic on the psychology of comedy. Because yeah. the average person has no idea that this is what goes into comedy. There's so probably. much
0: psychology that goes into it. It's a performance art, like any other art that there is. And I hate when I hear comedians like diminish it. They're just like, "Oh, you think my dick jokes are art?" Like, no, maybe your fucking dick jokes are an art. Yeah, no kidding. The rest of us are doing <laughs> arts. Maybe what you're doing. is not art but the rest of us are so let us take it seriously and do what we need i don't think i can
1: think of oh can we think of one highly successful comedian who isn't one of the people that we're talking about who is a dick joke strictly comedian type of dirty comedian i can't even every comedian who's made it who's made it to a certain level has some sort of cerebral connection to the audience where they're they're reaching this level of they might not be saying the smartest shit. Not everybody has to be fucking Chris Rock, but they're saying something where the audience is like, aha, yeah, okay, I get the ironies, okay, yeah. yeah.
0: And being like a dirty uh, comic is not, there's art to that as well. You can be a dirty comic and be so masterful. Like, Dave Attell is like such the a best. masterful joke writer. Man, right? Insane. What he's doing is art. He's literally telling dick jokes, but it's an art. So it's like, don't say that, like, maybe your dick jokes, there is no art to them.
1: Do you but listen to his the albums? The
0: rest of us, there is. Have you
1: listen to Dave Vittell's albums? Yeah. Like Skanks for the Memories and Your Mouth's Not Pregnant are the funniest things in comedy ever.
0: Dude, Roadwork is my favorite <laughs> special on the face of the earth. I will watch don't know. I'm actually, I'll watch that after we get off the get off the line. And of course, also, how inspirational is this? I know. What was the second thing that you mentioned? Like right before I started talking about this book, you said something else that was like, oh God, this other... It was like practicing something. I can't remember what
1: it was. We were talking about practicing mindfulness. We are talking about meditation. I can't remember anymore either.
0: Oh, right. And uh, they also said that this other thing is that like leaders, like CEOs, people like that, that are in like these high performance brackets also make other people feel good about themselves. So it's like, and when you're on stage, like that's something that you do. I don't know if you intentionally do it or it's unintentional but like you inherently make people feel good about themselves and like that is something that is really that's I think that's like a pivotal thing. Man,
1: you want to know the secret to that is is simplicity. Making them feel like they get what you're saying. A lot of times people will sit in the audience and not get what a stand-up comedian is doing or what he's saying or what they're saying because the human mind is constantly wandering and people will like lose focus for a second and come back. And, and I want, man, I don't know how, fuck you, you, you like I, you're right about what you're saying, but I don't even know how to explain how that works. How I, I know that I'm doing that. I do know that I'm doing it. I know that I make them it comes to a, it's a,
0: It's a foundational thing that you can't teach. That's something that you either have or like you don't and you can get it. Like you can work on yourself. But that comes from like a very deep place in your psyche, in your heart or wherever it comes from, comes from childhood experiences, your experiences before you were a comedian. Like, I just think that that is something that is so deep rooted that you can't, like, even though I'm saying that to you right now and I'm like, oh man, I wish I was more like that on stage. Just saying that and acknowledging it isn't enough. In order to do that, I need to like go to therapy. I need to like work on myself in like many other ways. That crazy that i'm gonna done. like
1: cry thinking about that because the reason the whole just even how you said it man it, i'm gonna cry you, i got you up. i think about this stuff all the time and i get so happy and it makes me feel so good and like <laughs> man the reason i'm all uh, right chill out it's up, I, up. I, got, I can't be crying on a podcast right now. right but <laughs> yeah, the thing is, is you're the first
0: that, guest to not only give me compliments but you're also the first guest to cry we're having such podcast. a good
1: conversation we're having such a good one i haven't talked and co- about comedy, like all oh, year in this step, man, um, the, the likable factor, okay, that comes from a childhood trauma and fear that people were being rude to me, mm. that they were being mean to me because they thought I was stupid. Or because And also because I grew up in the Portuguese community, if you're a Mainlander, you're mean to Islanders. And people were always mean to me because I spoke like an Islander. I spoke like an Azorian. I had that really, like, twangy, like, and these fucking, like, proper Portuguese people would be so fucking rude to me. And
0: um, Portuguese, just in general, is such a gross language that people from the mainland, too. It's like, what do you even have? What?
1: Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think you're doing over here? What fun, do you think you yeah. are? Italy? You
0: think you're Spain? Get the
1: fuck it's, out of here, you! There's goos.
0: nothing poetic about the Portuguese language. Just
1: uh, like shut the fuck up, you yeah. idiot.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I have, I have these crazy man. When you talked about, I was like, I wonder why I'm always nice. I'm always, I'm always nice to everybody, Jewel. I'm, I'm nice to the the guy who hands you the microphone. I'm nice to the guys editing the shit backstage. I'm nice to the lady who takes your coat when you get to the show like, and like I said, it's because you're only gonna meet those people probably once in your life. you might as well you might as well be vulnerable and give them your best. Yeah. There's no, there's nowhere else to go, man.
0: Oh, you're so yeah, trippy. Why are you making me like, think
1: about these things?
0: Yeah, that comes from that too. but also like when I'm like that, um it comes from a place of like, It has to come from a place of like unwavering gratitude for like the life that you have, like going to this taping, like even going to like an open mic for three people. Do you know how lucky you are that like you even have found this thing that you are obsessed with, like that gives your life purpose and meaning, like even that in itself, like you just have to be, you know, like, I guess, grateful for everything. And then when you are that, it just transfers over into the way that you treat people.
1: Man, being grateful for being at an open mic and being able to perform and do that is something that most people don't have. Even sometimes, you know, okay, man, fuck, it's not as, it's not as, it's not as heavy anymore. But for a few years there of my career, I, w- I was able to walk into pretty much any show or open mic and be able to get on and do five just so that I could, like, give the show a little boost or something like that. Like, people were down to give me fives. And that allowed me to not appreciate an open mic. Like, not only did I cancel on shows all the time, I never even showed up, like, to, like, this is a true story. I, ne- I-, I mentioned it earlier on as an example, but I've actually never performed at the Ossington. I've never even been in the Ossington. No way. Yes, man. Okay. Because, like, I'm going to tell you what my open mics were. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to age myself in comedy. My open mics were shit like The Crown and Tiger. Did you ever do something called The Crown and Tiger?
0: Oh god, there was like four of them, wasn't? There yeah, five? yeah, yeah. The one
1: in the basement on college—that was garbage. That was one of my open mics. Right.
0: Um, I mean, so, oh god, I've been to so many, like Tigers and Kings, and like
1: yeah, the Tiger and King, yeah.
0: the Badger and oh, go fucking. There's yourself. so many. There's four hundred of them in Toronto.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate all those. Yeah, Fox and the Fiddle. Any of those pieces, shit animals. Yeah. hawking shitty beers okay so all of those uh, okay and and one more open mic that's still around that i always did was the Hotbox box open mic I, I when i did it the host was a lady named jillian thomas you ever meet jillian thomas i haven't met her <laughs> that fuck okay i gotta refocus i'm, I'm, I'm getting all like emotional internally because it's something that we talked about a couple minutes ago yeah. what a fucking trip okay let's refocus want to ask me something
0: I wanted to ask you and I wanted to say this because and like there are moments where I feel like you and me and like I hate saying this because whoever's listening like I don't want to sound like an asshole and I don't want to compare my personality to yours at all (laughs) but it's always nice when you get to talk to another comedian that I feel like I feel like we have a lot in common I feel like we have generally kind of the same background like you're kind of Portuguese, my dad's that way. Like we have a little bit of like the same worldview, I think when it comes to things like that. But like when I go to open mics and stuff, like so I, I was talking about like being grateful for like even just being at that open mic because there's so many people that, you know, I don't know, like struggle with, I guess, not necessarily like finding their purpose in life. Not that you need to feel so compelled by something to have a purpose in life. Like, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm not trying to put pressure on anybody to find purpose in life. We all have a purpose inherently. what i'm saying is at this open mic i have caught myself sometimes like slipping like if i'm like in a bad mood and i'm like oh she's like there's only three people here like i don't give a shit about this show uh and i feel myself slipping i I am getting better at being like don't don't do that that's a slippery slope don't start being like that you're grateful to be here you know And i did it to
1: myself man i i allowed myself to get used to such man, I, I built this little, like you, we talked about at the beginning where I built this fucking thing around me where I only did good shows. Every show that I did turned into a good show or some fucking, it's an illusion, obviously. It's not fucking real. London Yuck Yucks isn't a good show, but in my head, because I'm fucking doing Yuck Yucks and I'm headlining Yuck Yucks, to me it's a great show. And it was the worst show. Everybody bombed, uh, they got heckled, but I, I didn't get heckled, I didn't bomb. So it's the greatest show I ever did in my life. And, it's, and, and then eventually I, I broke out of that that, that illusion and realized that I, I, I believed every show was good because I wanted them to be good. I didn't want to be doing shitty shows. So I would convince myself that every show was really, really good. Everybody was smashing. And then like weeks later, you would talk to a comic and they'd be like, man, that was the worst show, huh? <laughs> that was garbage. The audience was shit. That drunk guy couldn't stop pissing. And you're like, what? Wasn't that the best show? Didn't we all just smash? Didn't you guys go home on a high? Uh that, that idea of appreciating everything for what it is is something that diminishes so fast in comedy, man, it's so sad, but you're right. You can keep it alive by reminding yourself that this is what you wanted. When, once upon a time, this was the greatest feeling just to be at the open mic w- around comedians.
0: Yeah. That's what it was. Cause that's the thing that you want when you first start doing comedy. Like all I wanted to do was like be friends with comedians and get together at open mics. Like I love, I just love the experience of like, I I remember there was this one time I was in, I was like in high school, it doesn't matter when, but I was on the subway coming home and I lived in the suburbs. So it was like just a really long ride and I got a shawarma like on my way back and I had like a hole in my cardigan and I was eating this messy shawarma that was getting all over me and I had just done only open mics that night. And I just remember feeling so fulfilled and like genuinely <laughs> very, very happy. And I remember that feeling whenever I start to be like, oh, I didn't get this opportunity or I didn't get that or whatever, because I'm just like, that's not why you do it. You don't do it for the approval of whatever you, you do it be- for that feeling, for just being
1: so grateful. Oh, that was the you best know? feeling. I remind that you're reminding me of all those, man. I yeah. feel like I'm so disconnected. I'm going to cry again. Fuck. <laughs> oh okay that feeling of 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 shit it's like yeah your shawarma shit and the night open mics are shit and you couldn't be fucking happier that you were a part of this shit yeah you're just happy
0: to be part of the shit and you're just like man like this you're like i found this really cool shawarma place and then later on it's like just the regular shawarma place that like You don't think it's special anymore because you've been to it a million times, but you're like, man, I remember when I first discovered this shawarma place and it was like cold and shitty outside and like your hands are freezing.
1: Oh, but it's all the best. You, you, it's all the best. Your hands are freezing because you did comedy. You're grabbing a shawarma late night because you did comedy, man. I uh, look, man, you can't see, but I'm for sure crying right now. I definitely uh, see
0: tears. This is,
1: (laughs) but, um, Okay, I got chill cuz I, I I'll tear up more if I keep thinking about it. Man, there's a feeling that you're capturing that nobody gets to know unless you're a performer. It's that it's that crazy satisfaction that you're doing it. You're just you're doing something that no one else does. Let's just get that out of the way. You're doing stand-up comedy. You're doing fucking stand-up comedy. You're going you're, you're gonna to be a comic. Me, Mike, I'm a comedian. Someone referred to me as a funny comedian on the show. I can remember the first time someone referred to me as a comic. And it was a guy named Alex Pavone. And he said, man, you're becoming a really good comic. And, I went, and I, I, I'm going to cry right now because he's my friend. He's actually my friend nowadays. But I was just his kid, and I was like, what? He called me a comic. Alex Pavone a guy that I loved I thought was so funny he just called me Mike Rita a comedian I I, am still high from that today I I, I can still feel it in my heart so much it's still so alive
0: and it's so interesting and it's like I love how passionate you are about it and it's just so um I don't know like talking to you right now even about it it kind of like even though we haven't been able to do stand-up for so long it just kind of like I don't know I feel, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. My, my spirit feels refreshed by like talking about all these
1: Oh, because we live such a blessed life, G. Fuck, for real. We live such a blessed life. People, the average person will never, never feel the full body high. That is a fucking boom joke. Like just a fucking, not even, they don't even, they they, they their average life day to day will never even live up to a small opening joke, like a good opener, like a good topical opener or like, you know, or even a, like give it up for this guy, you know, the worst comic or, or sort of just joking with your, even your, your, let alone, let alone smashing like a heckler or something like that. One of those 10 out of 10 radiant. I'm on stage highs, man. Like you could never, if you could bottle that up, we'd be billionaires.
0: Let me tell you this story Um, because you just mentioned hecklers and uh, this is a different this is a different episode than any of my other episodes on this podcast because this is a really I feel like this is definitely an emotional episode because we're just I I don't know we're just both really passionate right now about it and I love it because this is so great for me Um, I remember I was like I was at the the Toronto Vaughn uh, sorry the toronto yucks club yeah and there was like some girl in the audience that was sleeping and then i had one of those like boom 10 out of 10 like comeback lines like it was just kind of like this really fun moment between me and this girl who was sleeping and like the audience like that she was literally sleeping and (laughs) me and the audience talking about this girl who was like drunk asleep at this show and i i said a line to her and I left the show being like, okay, like that was like, I'm really proud of that or whatever. I didn't think anything of it. And then I just like went on with my life. And then, uh, when I went to Niagara Falls, I got like really bad travel anxiety and it was like, before I had started therapy or anything like that. So I didn't know exactly what this was and how to deal with it or whatever. So I was like really going through it. Like it was bad. I was yeah, like, terrifying. I was not, it travel was, anxiety was like, is 10 out of 10, scary, 10 out of 10, scary. And I'm there with my mom and my best friend who I called to come and stay with me for like the rest of the trip. And we're just like sitting on this bench in Niagara Falls, in the middle of Niagara Falls, like off of like, we just like went to a winery. So it was just like, kind of, it was like not even in Niagara Falls. It was like on some weird country back road in Niagara Falls. And we're sitting at this bench and there's this group of like young people behind us. And I'm just like, going through it like my stomach feels nauseous there's like tears coming down my face I'm like I don't know if literally my exact words where I I will cancel the rest of this like I don't think I can make it another night like I'm Ugh, dying so tough right comedy's now. the I'm worst fucking, I know man I'm fucking dying and then somebody behind me they were just like is that Juliana and I was just like, are these, I was like, please don't tell me I just ran into somebody from my high school. And then I turn around, I'm just like, oh, hey, like, I didn't recognize them. and like, hey, we were at the show where you said that thing to that uh, sleeping drunk chick. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> they were just like, yeah, we're just like, we follow you on Instagram and everything. And like, we, yeah, we just wanted to say like, you're like our favorite or whatever. Oh like, no. my
1: fucking Lord
0: so nice and it just kind of helped snap me out of it and I was like that's that's why you do it I was like you do it for that reason and it was so coincidental and bizarre and crazy and I was just like that's that's it like your mom was there yeah <laughs> yeah it was wild I was like no way <laughs>
1: I can't I'm gonna cry again I'm too emotional I'm on the
0: edge of everything right now Fuck, it I'm means like a, a lot friend. it means a lot if there's any audience listening tell comedians that you like them because this is all we have. And it's, it's a very nice, you never know what you're going to Oh my God,
1: man. That's the fucking best. I don't, I never had anybody say like to my mom's face. I Like if she, like if my mom ever heard somebody like, they would think that they're crazy. Like what? You know, she doesn't get that I have fans. I try to explain to her. I'm like, I have fans. People really (laughs) like me. They buy my albums and merch. I, my merch sells out. She's like, (laughs) nah. But okay, wait. That's so fucking nice, man. Oh my god. And and the best thing is, were you staying in Niagara that weekend? Were you doing yeah. like the weekend? Yeah. Oh, uh, so you get to go back to your hotel with your mom and your and your friend, and you guys get to like do the show, and you get to gloat, and you just you won't gloat because you're humble. So I'm sure once that happened, I'm sure there was like a few days of you enjoying it, and then it probably diminished because your brain was like whatever. That's exactly. I don't, yeah that's the way my, my brain is too like I can never I can never enjoy something for what it is because I can only think of the negative side of it <laughs> uh, like I always think that I'm peaking for the last seven years of my life I'm like this is the peak this is the peak right here I'm never gonna be better than I am at 24 I'm never gonna be better than I am <laughs> it's like, I'm an idiot huh. but um,
0: um that's so dude that's that's crazy it's crazy um I'm really happy with this is there anything else you wanted to add
1: no I don't even know I feel like we've been talking for I'm the worst you're like we'll talk for an hour I feel like I've been keeping you on this fucking I I
0: love this it's just more material for me to edit and whatever it's it's great and I and I love it's not even for the podcast like I just really like talking to you as a person so this this was a good
1: conversation this is way beyond the podcast at this This point yeah this
0: is yeah this is just us talking yeah